Welcome to Rom Book Pod. I'm your host, Sarah, and today I have with me Roan Parrish, the fantastic author of many lovely queer romances. Today we will be discussing the grumpy sunshine dynamic, or grumpy characters in romance, and sunshine characters in romance. Uh, welcome, Roan. Well, thank you so much for having me. I almost just said welcome to you, too. Welcome. I absolutely adore your books. I've read almost all of them. Yeah, thank almost you. all of them. I think Corbin Whale was probably my first one I read of yours. Oh, cool. Um, and that was like, oh, my God, this is absolutely amazing. Um, I re-listened to the audio of it when I was in the in Wales a couple of years ago. And it was such a fantastic experience, like driving along the coastline, just looking out at the ocean, oh. listening to Corbin. It was it was absolutely magical. Um, oh, my God, that's amazing. I did small change for my queer book club, which is unfortunately... Um, on hiatus oh pandemic Um, and I I didn't like ginger at first but then I re-listened to ginger when the audio came out and I was like no no I yep ginger's perfect ginger's (laughs) a girl um and I think of all your characters or all or many of your books um ginger probably identifies fits the trope of grumpy the most and Mm -hmm. Christopher fits sunshine the most there is a a a meme I want to say going around of like like artist drawing ship dynamics and it was like here's the grumpy one who's never received kind affection or love and they're like love enough so they've like cast off everyone like trying to (laughs) not deal with it anymore and then here comes the sunshine one who's also experienced crap in their life but still has hope and like shows affection to the grumpy one (laughs) It's and so good. The grumpy one doesn't know what to do with this strange affection. <laughs> and then it's like, Ugh. I do everything I can to protect you. Aww. So like, that's like what the sunshine grumpy dynamic is to me, in that the sunshine one, like, they've still gone through the stuff, like, they've gone through the shit in life, and they still experience pain and trauma and stuff, but the, di- just the dynamics of how they view the world are differently. Yeah, I th- I totally agree. I think it's, it's not about backstory, like any backstory can be had by a grumpy or a sunshine character. But yeah, it's totally about perspective. And it's, um, that's something that I think about so much, because uh, my sister is like a sunshine person. And she's one of the people that I had in mind when I was writing Small Change and thinking about Christopher was one of these, like, to me, infuriatingly sunny people who no matter what can kind of, um, find a perspective that's positive and not in a fake way in a real genuine deep like I value this kind of way and of course it's delightful and of course because she's my sister it drives me crazy and I'm jealous of it but um yeah when I was writing Christopher that's kind of what I was thinking of so I I totally agree that it's all about like worldview not experience yeah you've mostly written mm one M-M-F-F? Is mm-hmm. that the, the the Dracula retelling with Avon? Um, yeah, and exactly. Then, um, Small Change was Queer MF. Mm-hmm. Do you plan on writing other queer mixed gender pairings or FF romances yourself for like in the Garnet Run series or more in the Philadelphia series? Well, I am actually doing... Okay, ne- neither of those, this isn't either of those series, but um, I'm doing a 
a horror project, like a horror, queer horror romance project that is an Audible original that's coming out this summer. And it has stories in it that they're all queer, the stories in it. Um, And I think there's both MM and FF in that series. And then I'm actually working on a project right now, very secret, so I can't say very much about it, that is uh, both at, like an MM and an FF pairing in the same book. So, I, yeah, I, I, I would love to write all the pairings. Nice. I, I just finished reading um, Best Laid Plans a couple weeks ago. Oh, I got an arc cool. of that. And I think <laughs> as a cat person, I absolutely loved it. Yay. And I really love Charlie and Jane and oh god, what is the other kitty's name? Marmot. Marmot. I was like, I don't want to say mutton, and I'm like, that's not right. (laughs) Uh, I really loved that. that. Then um I loved all the animals and better than people. I myself have a um 10-year-old standard poodle (laughs) who we adopted um last May in the middle of the pandemic. What's what's the dog's name? His name is Sloan. Um, he was originally trained as a guide dog for the Guide Dog Foundation on Long Island for the blind and, oh, wow. and uh, visually impaired. And he failed out because of eye allergies. Oh, my <laughs> so God. Poor baby. One of my dad's friends who she couldn't keep him anymore. So he came to us. I've mostly ever only ever had cats. So having a dog is a much different experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like both. I mean, I'm definitely a cat person, but I also do love dogs. But I just am not sure I could have a dog because I'm like a grouchy and insensitive person who can't deal with being interrupted. And so I feel like the the whole like having to take a dog out for a walk thing, I'm not sure I could do it. <laughs> um, And the other dog we had before him was a 13-year-old standard poodle who we were like retirement hospice for for like two months um back in 2019 and that like when you see an old dog and you're like yep that's an old dog Um, yeah they're um, so sweet though my my sister and her wife have a dog um who's like he looks like a little fox he's a mutt so I don't know what kind he is but um he's like a little cat dog so he even though he's not very small he'll jump up on your lap and curl up and he likes to be tucked under the covers so at night he'll like get in the foot of the bed and you can pull the covers up over him and he'll just curl up there so cute but he's getting old and he's getting like little grays in his muzzle fucking adorable animals are great (laughs) I know you went to Wyoming and that was your inspiration for um the Garnet Run series um I did yeah where do you generally, like, I know you live in Philly and stuff like that. Like, where do you draw inspiration for your books? You know, I I love to travel, um, which has been the hardest thing about the pandemic for me. I, I have to admit that, like, my daily life has not been impacted hugely because I am generally, like, a shut-in who works from home anyway. But tra- not being able to travel has been hard. Um, but, yeah, traveling always is, I find hugely inspirational, both because of the places like seeing new places, I I really believe strongly that like your, uh, the inputs that you get from the world strongly influence the outputs 
that you can create. And so when you change your environment, when you change your habits, when you change even small things like what time you get up and go to bed, like switching, working at day or night, I really do think those things make a difference. And so I think traveling is really inspirational for me, both because of seeing new places, but also because the, the movement to get there like the train, a plane, a car, I feel like moving really fast makes my brain move fast. I know that sounds really weird, but like there's just something about being in a car, being on a plane or a train that makes me think faster and like take in things faster. So yeah, any kind of train trip, I always find myself sort of like getting new ideas and staring out the window and like the the landscape comes so fast that I feel like it actively has an effect on my brain. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. And just being in unfamiliar spaces, like you can't have your normal thoughts in response to your typical uh, daily things because you're not in your typical daily space. And so I, I feel like the kind of like jumble up of all those things kind of changes the way I think, which, um, is, yeah, it's just inspiring in general. But the Wyoming trip was amazing. I have a, so I got my PhD in literature before I quit academia to write fiction. And I have this lovely group of friends from grad school and we, we all live in different places now. And we try to get together in the summers for like a week long trip every year. And so last year we went to Wyoming because one of our friends lives there and I'd never been to like the middle West in general. And I had no idea what to expect and it was so stunning. Like the landscape it was so beautiful. We were at this really, really high elevation. And so even though it was summer, it had snowed the week before. And we we got this Airbnb cabin that looked like something from Hannibal. Like it was just all um, <laughs> like elk horns and um, a stag horns and, and all these things and a huge fireplace. And um, yeah, it was amazing. Like just looking outside our back door, like moose would just come out of the forest and walk across the backyard and I um like the greatest achievement of my life to date is that I managed to get chipmunks to eat birdseed out of my hand like a like a <laughs> Disney character um there's a video of it on my Instagram actually like I was so delighted by this and so I was there and I was just like I have to write a book set here because I want to live in this place for longer and I feel like what's ex- what's fun about writing books and places other than the place I live is that I kind of feel like I get to live there for the space of time it takes me to write the book. So I'm like expanding, extending my, my Wyoming vacation for the couple of years that I'm writing these books. Yeah. I've been to, um, I, my brother lives out in the the Seattle area. So I routinely go or not this last year, but in the before times, um, I would visit and I would take, um, I'd be like, okay, I'll visit with you guys for a little bit and then play with my niece. And it's like, okay, time for auntie to go on her own road trip. (laughs) And I would like drive up either to the San Juan Islands or around the Olympic Peninsula and stuff like that. And then um, in college, one of my mother's bucket list trips she wanted to do was to Glacier National Park in Montana. Oh, And that was absolutely beautiful. But to get get back on the grumpy sunshine topic. Oh, right. um, what are some of your favorite books, uh, romance or otherwise queer books that have this kind of dynamic in them? Well, okay, even though I knew I was coming on this podcast and we were going <laughs> to talk about this, I, my mind is now going completely and utterly blank. That's okay. It I know. 
It happens to me every single time. I should make lists. Um, well, one thing I love. Okay, maybe this is actually not Grumpy Sunshine. It could be. You never oh, know. Gosh. Okay, so there's this series that's like a fantasy romance, I guess you'd call it, by Anne Bishop, the Black Jewels series. Did you ever read this? I don't think so. Okay. Well, um, I know who Anne Bishop I, it, is. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, and um, what, it was one of the first, like, I didn't grow up reading romance at all, and that series, um, I was super into sci-fi and fantasy, and I read that series pretty, like, a long time ago, and it was one of the first romance things that I ever read, and I kind of, romance was just not on my radar as a genre, but I loved it, um, and there's, there's, like, multiple pairings in that book, Okay, now that I'm saying this, I'm like, actually, everybody is grumpy in that book. But there are moments of grumpy and sunshine. But there, it's like grumpy sunshine to the extreme because the grumpiness has to do with, like, uh, the ending of the entire world. So Janelle, who's the, like, the heroine of the book, who's an amazing character. And it's really cool because it's multiple books and you get to see her grow up from like a very young child all the way to an adult woman. And from the time that she's a child, she has this like she's hugely powerful and everyone is terrified of her and the things that she can do and see. But she thinks because of what they've told her that she actually has no ability whatsoever. And she's this um, I just love her. She's one of my favorite like female characters in fiction because she's deeply kind and loves animals and like wants everyone to be happy. But she has this power that like literally could rip people to pieces, uh, minds, bodies, worlds, just like rend the cosmos. And so, yeah, so she has uh, her like romantic pairing is super grouchy with everyone else, but sunshine with her. And she's kind of like, a grouchy sunshine mix but like a total boss so yeah it's not like a strict grouchy sunshine but it is one of the first books that I read that was like that kind of had that dynamic a little bit that sounds really cool and like the dynamic itself like it's very malleable like a trope isn't inherently strict to the box it gets put in and so like yeah grumpy sunshine to means different things to different people I think sometimes one of my, the first romance things that I read, because I, I got into romance via shoujo manga when I was in middle school. So I was reading a lot of manga and stuff like that. And then I found queer romance fanfic slash fic and then continued on into like mainstream indie romance. Um, yeah. There's a manga series called Fruits Basket by Natsuki Takuya. And it's uh, centered around a girl, um, Toru, who she's lost her mother. She's living in this tent in the woods. Um, because she doesn't want to burden her grandfather by staying with him during um, his house renovations with his niece or, or his daughter. So uh, she's living in this woods and she realizes she's living on the property of one of her classmates. And so they're like, what are you doing here? No one lives around here. And then they come to find out that she's in the tent. So they're like, oh, yeah, you can stay with us. And then one of their cousins appears to like have a fight with her classmate because they have like, He's been trying to beat him since they were little kids. And then it turns out that her classmate, is his family, is cursed to turn into the spirits of the Chinese Zodiac whenever oh, wow. they're hugged by the opposite sex. So suddenly she has this cat in her arms. She's like, 
huh? <laughs> um, so she, like, wants everyone to be happy. Like, she doesn't want to burden people with, like, her fears and stuff like that. So she's constantly happy, constantly trying to make sure other people are happy. Whereas her love interest in the series, Kyo, who is the spirit of the cat in the series, um, he is absolutely grumpy. The cat is treated because the cat wasn't invited to the the feast in the Zodiac Tale. So the cat's treated like like crap. He's not part of the main family. Um, he has this, like, he turns into a cat, and then if he takes off a bracelet, he also turns into this, like, horrible creature and stuff like that. And it's about him trying to, like, be less angry, be less grumpy towards everyone. It's like his first reaction is to say something mean, and Toru will just, like, be standing right there. And it's like, oh! Okay, and she'll just, like, walk away being like, I made someone mad. Um, and it's, like, her also trying to figure out a way to break the family curse to, like, set them free from this. And it's just oh, cool. a beautiful, like, not everything is perfect in it, but it's such a beautiful series of complex, toxic family dynamics and, like, mm. how they all have to, like, go be with, like, the person who they consider that that is the god figure and if they don't listen to them, that person lashes out and stuff like that. It, it's just, it got a new um, anime series uh, in 2019, oh, cool. so it's absolutely beautiful and animated now. Oh. Let's see, what else is there for Grumpy Sunshine? Oh, Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. Oh my um, gosh, I love Talia Hibbert. Uh, it was the first book I had read by her, um, and it's about Danny, who is a... English major, I think, um, and Zaf, who is an ex-rugby player, and he is a security guard at her school now, and um, he, she and him, like, pass each other every day into the building she goes into, and she, like, brings him coffee and, like, an energy bar, being like, you haven't eaten breakfast yet, have you? But it was just, I really liked the dynamic, because, like, we get to see Danny's ex-girlfriend, and Zaf's like, I don't have an issue with you being queer, and um, he also reads romance novels. <laughs> so, Cute. like, he'll be listening to an audiobook, and then, like, this, like, the Bluetooth will stop working, and so, like, the audio will play, and Danny will be like, what on earth are you listening to? <laughs> so um, relatable. Just, I really love the dynamic in that book, um, and the audio for it is absolutely fantastic. Um, oh, awesome. I really like the A Girl Like Her series. I don't remember what the series name is, Ravenswood maybe I think that's what it's called yeah I yeah I just I feel like she does grouchy sunshine in a really sweet cute and believable way which I deeply enjoy yeah I, I really love I really loved that book it was one of my favorite books that I read last year and her work for it her mm I really liked as well I think I started that one and I wasn't in the mood for it at the time so maybe I'll go back and try it again um, yeah it's 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 super cute, and it's um, elderflower liqueur is, like, my favorite thing in the whole world, and it's about a character who works, uh, like, crushing elderflower, like, uh, extracting, I should say, elderflower um, essence, and so it just made me want a cocktail the entire time I was reading it. I don't think I've ever had elderflower liqueur before, oh or gosh. anything with elderflower in it. Um, it's so good. It's, like, beautifully floral but not you know how sometimes like lavender or rose can be a little bit soapy lavender um, tastes like cleaning solution <laughs> yeah I mean I like it in the right context but yeah it can be a bit soapy but elderflower is this like 
it's really robust and and light at the same time and it has this lovely floral essence but it's not soapy oh my god it's so good maybe i'll have to hunt some down or other flower jam do you make jam yeah you make a jam yep there's a jam it's good i'll have to hunt that down one of my other favorite peak grumpy books is probably um in other lands by sarah reese brennan it's an oh opera. i loved that book <laughs> i identify so much with elliot <laughs> To like the point where I'm listening to it being like, I'm just going to start crying now. Because <laughs> um, I have the hardback and then I have the soft cover that has a short story set through Luke's point of view. Oh, cool. Uh, um, so it's like a 45, 50 page short story, like set, I think, in the middle and then a bit after from Luke's point of view. And it's really great. Um, but Elliot, he is just so grumpy, so angry with the world and then like how Luke and Serene are like no we'll help you and he's like no I don't I like he doesn't know when to accept affection because Mm -hmm. he wasn't given affection so it's like his journey and stuff like that and there's like (laughs) there's a fanfic series that I found like someone wrote after that set after and it's set around Hanukkah (laughs) And, like, Elliot's explaining to them what Hanukkah is. So Luke then goes and gets him eight gifts. And so every time he gives Elliot a gift, he's just like, I don't know what you're trying to do with this. But thank you. And, like, it ends up, like, with them together at the end. And, it's like, it's very cute. Um, That's so cute. In the series, it's, like, one of my favorite, like, magical school type things. And then I like how it um, upends the fancy tropes that she's working with and plays with them. And it's just, Elliot is like peak grump. Totally. I think she's such a good writer too, just like prose stylist. She's really funny and arch, which I enjoy. I feel like um, this, not to break the, the mold of our theme, but I also have such a soft spot for grouchy, grouchy pairing. Yeah, which I feel like yes. I feel like is is relevant only because like gr- or is it grouchy or grumpy? I think grumpy. it's interchangeable possibly. Okay. Um, because my friend Helen also likes to call them gremlins, Cute. <laughs> like grouchy gremlins. So yes. I think it's like very much like interchangeable. Interchangeable because like yeah, fandom tropes are like malleable like that. Right. Well, so whichever, whichever one, grouchy or grumpy, you like, um, I feel like grumpy sunshine is a thing that makes grumpy, grumpy possible to recognize as a genre. Whereas before we started calling things grumpy sunshine, grumpy, grumpy, I think was just like not, you didn't notice it. You were just like, oh, these are, they're both assholes or something. But I have such a soft spot for the kind of like, I guess I would call them like mutually angular characters where like they're, they both have really sharp edges. They just happen not to poke each other exactly with them. And I feel like uh, Garrett Lee does yes. grumpy, grumpy better maybe than anyone. Particularly it's like, misfits. misfits yeah. That. Yeah. It's like the perfect grumpy, grumpy pairing. And I, I want, uh, yeah, I feel like the grumpy grumpy doesn't quite get enough love because it's not as uh, shiny. Like it's not since it's not as opposite. But ugh, I love a grumpy grumpy. No, I, I definitely agree with you that because um, it's like 
for me, if it's not specifically like this is an enemies to lovers trope, like like a more obvious trope than like what Grumpy Sunshine is or like Grumpy Grumpy, then I'm just like, what book did I read that I have that in it? Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah, I'm on Twitter being like, okay, I need this ship and this dynamic and we'll see what Twitter spews back at me. Yeah, and I think that's right. Like I think that enemies to lovers is like that the that is also often grumpy grumpy not because the people are grumpy but because the situation makes them grumpy at each other and I feel like grumpy grumpy is is distinct from enemies to lovers in a way that I enjoy because I mean don't get me wrong there are definitely some enemies to lovers romances that I enjoy but it's definitely not my my go-to probably because the like when I don't like someone I have no desire like having sex with them is the last thing that I ever would want um and so it's it's not like my it's not my thing but yeah, but a, a grumpy, grumpy pairing that isn't enemies to lovers, but is just like, we both are okay with the fact that both of us are grumpy. Mm. I think the one that comes to mind with that is probably Alexis Hall's boyfriend material. Oh, I haven't read that yet. Um, which they're kind of both grumpy, um, but Reese and Luke and Oliver, I was off with that. <laughs> Luke and Oliver. Um, we have Luke who is just struggling to like get by He's the son of like some famous rock star who doesn't acknowledge that he exists really, and he's really depressed and he needs a boyfriend for his beetle charity, his beetle protection charity's benefit because <laughs> he works <laughs> at a charity to, that protects beetles. <laughs> Um, so he gets paired up by the one token straight friend to be with his uh, lawyer. She's like, oh, he's gay. I know him. He's single. Here. Um, and they, like, they're complete. It's just the complete opposites. And I just really like Luke because um, he's very depressed. And, like, his flat is a mess. And, like, mm. he, he at one point is like, hey, guys, can you come over and help me clean because I can't do it by myself. And I think that was like one of my favorite things that they, that having friends who are there for you to help when you can't do the thing. Um, yeah. And like Oliver, he, all like Luke surrounds himself with all these queer friends and Oliver doesn't have that. So he feels mm-hmm. very isolated even with the friends he does have. So like it's both, it, it's very interesting. Like keep like, they get together and then they break up and they get together because they're both, they don't know how to communicate and it's them trying to communicate through their grumpiness to each other. Oh, that sounds great. And he also did um, Alexis's uh, Glitterland, which is the very depressed writer and the very sunshine um, fashion. Oh, yes. That one I did read. Yes, that's totally grumpy sunshine. Um, And it's like, that is probably the peak example and it's been a while since I read it but I was just saying they'd be like yup yup the the fashion model was very much sunshine all I remember is the accents mostly because I tried to read it in ebook and I was like I don't know what they're saying oh. <laughs> I don't know this dialect um oh. so like thankfully there was an audio for it I was like yes that is what they're saying I understand this now because <laughs> like when you read a dialect that you've never encountered before it can mm-hmm. be very hard to like parse out what the language is saying in print and if you've never read a word before in print then you're 
reading it however it sounds to you in your head. Oh my gosh, totally. I still remember when I was in like fifth grade reading um, The Outsiders. I was obsessed with Essie Hinton <clears throat> and The Outsiders. And I had this friend who was a year older than me who I who I was really smart. And I felt like I was constantly making a fool of myself in front of her. And in the on the back of The Outsiders, like one of the descriptors is like, pony boy is the epitome of cool. But I didn't know how to say the word. And so I said epitome. And my friend was like, um, it's pronounced epitome. And I was just like, oh, okay, thanks. I, I'll go die now. When I found um, fanfic when I was 12 and I found the X-rated fanfic, I didn't know how to pronounce the word orgasm when I was reading in my head. Oh. So I was like, I don't know what this word is. I'm going to read it as organism. So that's how I kept <laughs> sure, reading sure. it for like about a year till like we had like the second level talk in like seventh grade like anatomy class or whatever they did. And I was like, oh, that's how you say that. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense now. Uh, I love it. I want to do a Twitter thread where everyone says the words that they miss, mispronounced or miss, uh, remembered. Almanac. Um, mm. let's see what else. Um, Oh, uh, Candy Hearts by Aaron McClellan. Um, I haven't read that. It is, I, I absolutely adore the series by her. Um, it's a mixed pairing. The first one is Queer MF. The second one is MM. The second, the third one is Queer MF also. And then the fourth one is um, FF. And it's all centered around different holidays. So like the first one was Christmas. The second one's Valentine's. And then it's the 4th of July and then New Year's. Um, and, um, I kind of wish he would do a Halloween one, but I feel like that would be perfect. Um, <laughs> but the, the second one, um, it's with a, a mechanic who also likes to wear, um, lingerie. And he ends up at this cabin where there's no power because the power has gone out to be fixed. Um, and he's there before everyone else arrives and his sister's friends there who is like the epitome of dressed down or, or dressed up buttoned up to the top grump he's like nope i'm not no one's gonna get through to me and then uh the brother does get through to him and he was just like oh i i like you and so like there's like a grand gesture at the end and i was like oh that's actually kind of cute for a grand gesture <laughs> but oh, like that sounds I, good. I really like how um i think it's I have the book right here. I should know their names. Benji. Like, I like how Benji, like, becomes, like, an Instagram underwear model and, like, stuff like that. Like, his sister oh, cool. runs a sex toy company. And, like, the – normally I get really tired reading sex scenes because it's like, oh, there's another sex scene. Let's skip over this now. There was just one 20 pages ago. We don't need another one. Um, but, like, this one I was so invested because I think it's a little bit longer than, like, the average novella it's like about 50,000 words mm -hmm. which is dangly a novel I think um but it just the how the it, it feels like a very sex positive erotic romance so oh that's like, awesome it, it just feels very fun and just like I, you love every bit of it one of the other books that I really like that's like a, it's kind of grumpy grumpy with like a bit of sunshine thrown in um, is Tournament of Losers by Megan Dare. It's a, a fantasy book 
um, or fantasy romance, and it's with a marriage tournament. So, like, every so many years, the royal family has a marriage tournament to, like, bring someone in from the lower middle classes into the royal family so that there's a balance of new ideas. Mm. Magical. So this dock worker who's like he's he's very he's he like very down and out, very grumpy, he's just like, uh I have to go pay off my father's debt again because he pissed in the wrong pissed off the wrong person again. So now I have to go into this marriage game and hopefully I win the money or win or stay can stay in long enough to get this prize money so I can like save my family. And he doesn't realize that the last person he slept with is actually the prince who's the one that's going to be the one he marries. Oh, gosh. <laughs> or, like, the one up for marriage. Um, who, like, likes to go down into the city in disguise to, like, be among the people. Um, and Wrath is just... Or, Wrath? 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 Uh, he's just very grumpy and very tired. He's like, oh, it's these royals. They're making me go on a quest. All right, I guess I'll go meet all these villages and, like, help solve their problems and stuff like that. Um, and, like, then I'll come back to the city and stuff like that. And they'll be like, well, you did this better than anyone else. And he's like, yeah, that's because I know I have to do this work for a living. Like, you, they had to, like, go purchase things for, like, the, the end of feast. So they, like, gave them how much money that they could spend. And he's just saying they're like, why are you making me do this? I know all this. <laughs> so he just like stands there and spouts off like, okay, here's how much this beef would cost. Here's how much this cheese would cost. Here's who you should go to for the best wine. And they're all just like, you did that and saved money. That's cool. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> like, I wish those were the kinds of quests that I would get sent on. Like go to the grocery store and buy brie for less than $9.99 a pound. Go to, the fa- go to the fantasy grocery store and go buy the best meat for this price and the fish for this price. <laughs> but it's just, it's just like, he's so grumpy and he's so tired and he's just like, I just want a warm bed. <laughs> I just want <laughs> to know that my mother's safe and I don't have to deal with my father ever again. Um, and like, he, he gets that. And it's just, it's just so warm and lovely. And it's like, I like, I wish there were more like, marriage tournament books mm. in romance if that makes sense um yeah because like there's always like they have to like go marry fantasy duke or fantasy this and it's like well spice it up a little bit make them have to like i don't know go on quests to win the hand totally <laughs> oh that's the other one uh cat sebastian's it takes two to tumble which is um, her gay sound of music, but not sound of music. <laughs> oh my god, really? Um, I think she, I th- that's what she jokingly calls it, is like the gay sound of music. And that's then that the vicar character is based off the vicar from Grantchester, which is one of the PBS uh, British drama series set okay. in like the 50s, um, but this is Regency. And so a very grumpy cap, uh, sea captain who comes home um, from his voyage after his wife has died and he has to deal with his children that he doesn't really know very well they're all like under the age of 10 or like 11 and they're like little hellions because <laughs> there's like no one like really there to like keep an eye on them um, in this house and so the vicar tries to help and he's like I don't need the vicar's help but I guess I'll have the vicar's help. And the vicar's just like, I just, oh, you're very hot, but 
Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. This is fine. That's this is fucking good. adorable. Um, and, like, there's, like, baby ducks. And, like, ducks, like, climb on top of him. And it's just... And, like, how the vicar learns how to, like, get to know the kid. And, like, no, here's how... This child has dyslexia like you, Cersei Captain. Here's how you can go bond now. Go bond. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I need to pick that up immediately because sea captains are just inevitably hot. And I'm here for the ducklings. And it's like the it's the first book in the, in Kat's Sedgwick series. So each book follows a different Sedgwick brother. And like they're growing up in the country and how like their father was this bohemian who just was like, I don't, I don't need to, children. Go, go off and do your own thing. And like how um, he was like, it, he was married to one woman, also another relationship with another. So it was like a polyamorous thing going on in like the 1800s. Nice. And how the kids are just like, well, we didn't have a normal upbringing, and I kind of want to just like live a normal life, or at least the first brother wants just like normal, quiet, sedate life, and it's like, oh, now I'm the second father to three children, and I'm running a boarding school. Cool. (laughs) Uh, But it's just, I really like how Kat writes relationship dynamics and how, like, there's, like, there'll be, like, hard moments, but it's never, like, dark moments. (laughs) (laughs) It's never, like, a really dark, dark moment that you get annoyed when the characters like fix it with like the last five percent and you're just like hat like no that doesn't work um yeah I always I always want to see the characters like living in their happiness for a little while I I hate it when it's like it's the dark moment and then you get like two pages of happiness and then it's over I feel so disappointed it's like how am I supposed to believe that they're actually able to have a happy ever after when you've given them like 80% 80% of the book to, like, work through their stuff and then stick the black moment at 80-85%, and then at 95% it's fixed. And it's yeah. Like, it's just, I don't, yeah. Want, like, I don't see that as a happy ending because they haven't been together for 15% of the book. <laughs> what yeah, the I think they weren't together for 15% of the book. <laughs> right. I need, like, a, like a palate cleanser from the dark moment um enough to it's like when you watch something really scary or um uh sad and then you don't want to go right to bed because you'll have nightmares and so you need like an episode of parks and rec or something like a a palate cleanser i really after the dark moment need to see like some hugging give me some hugging like the dark moment is at like 60 to 75 percent like in that time range, like, it happens, it gets fixed by 80%, and then the next 20% is them being like, okay, we've fixed this issue, now we can live together, live separately, get through whatever thing, that now we have our happiest. And then I yeah. like, because especially Same. with, like, romance, because there's a <laughs> lot of, okay, here's this couple one book, here's another couple next book, there's not much of same couple, same couple, same couple. Right. So, like, how am I supposed to buy this happy ending when there's, like, they've been broken up for 20% and it's just suddenly a grand gesture at the end? Like, I don't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's an interesting, like, formal issue, I think, because so often, 
you know, romance is always defending itself against people who are like, oh, you can have a romance novel without a happily ever after. And people, I think, become very entrenched in like insisting, no, of course, we need this happily ever after. And it kind of has to look this way. And I agree that we need a happy ending. But I think that we would see that there's actually a lot more play within what what a happily ever after is if there was just more time to develop what that looked like. So like, I know people say, or many people say, you can't have a happily ever after that's like the characters deciding that maybe they won't be together. But I actually, I, I hope I don't get shot through the window for saying this out loud, but like, I actually think there is a way to write a romance that has a happily ever after where the characters are not entirely together. It's just that we're not used to seeing it. And so we we would need more space in the book to see what that would look like in order to realize that that is like a kind of romance that does work. Yeah, um, like creating like a platonic relationship after a romance or just like, like, because I think one of the things that romance needs space for is for more queer platonic relationships or just yes. more styles of relationships. Like they can be together, but not share a house. They can be together, oh, exactly. and the epilogue is not suddenly they had kids, even though they never mentioned wanting to have kids in the book. Like, why are there suddenly babies? Yeah, and I, I do think that there's, like, the the um, the typical, like, beat structure of, of most romance novels that does have you only get, like, 10, 8 or 10% left to have the, of story after the, the dark moment. That's like a useful, the beats are useful to hit when you're writing to genre. But I do feel like one of the things that I enjoy about queer romance, like especially queer, queer romance, not like MM romance specifically, but like queer people writing about queer characters that do queer things is that there's like a little bit more variety in where those beats fall and what the genre is doing, because then you get to see all the myriad possibilities that exist. And because so many queer people have to make our own version of what a happy ending looks like, it doesn't always work to just shorthand it in the final 10% of the book, the way you can really shorthand what happiness might look for first look at might look like, excuse me, for certain like heterosexual couples. And so I do think that like queerness is in the form in that, way and I feel super excited to see more more uh, varieties of happy endings yeah me too especially with like um Kat Sebastian a lot of her stuff is MM but she has um an FF book as well and wrote queer MM and M non-binary mm-hmm. I keep forgetting what Robin identifies as but like authors who like you started out writing mostly MM but you also have queer mf you have the ff in the dracula book and then you have like other ff relationships in your books like authors who don't just focus on like the one like the one mm and have like mf ff m non-binary f non-binary non-cis here there everywhere i feel like is a better representation of queer books and i end up trusting those authors more to like Mm -hmm. Give me what I'm looking for. Totally. And I think that like all, well, I mean, I, I shouldn't say all, but I think most queer people, at least that I know, like have queer friends and and queer chosen families and a community of people who 
are involved in their lives in really intimate ways that go beyond romantic and sexual relationships. And yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of space in romance to have a more various kind of community happy ending, which doesn't say, which doesn't mean like you don't get a happy romantic ending. It just means that like those can look in lots of different ways and not to, I mean, we've gotten far off the grumpy sunshine topic, but like, yeah, I just feel, it, it feels really important to me that like queer relationships don't always look like heterosexual relationships. And I think that they're over the years, like, especially with MM romance, there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's tons of great books and there are also a lot of books that are kind of like, writing sort of a a heteronormative story that happens to have two men in it and that is fine if that's what people want to write and also I think we have to understand that you can't just like shoehorn queer relationships which have to construct and reconstruct themselves in real life in really different ways into a formula that was sort of constructed with heterosexual relationships in mind. And so every time this this like question of a happily ever after comes up, of course I'm on the side of yes, romance has to have a happily ever after. But within that, I am not on the side that like it has to look this one particular, not this one particular way, but I think that the um, the insistence that it has to be like two or three or however many characters together forever in a long term relationship. I just yeah, like, I just I don't know, think that that's the, necessarily the, true. Um, characters living their life to old age and then dying at the end is also a touchy subject in romance. But I think mm-hmm. that that is technically a happy, happily ever after because they've lived that life. Mm-hmm. And they got to have their happily ever after. And do I like reading about characters dying at the end? Not particularly. But if it's like, if that's like, that's a happy ending. Like, yeah. No, um, I mean, that's like the ultimate happily ever after. Like, I, I think that one of the saddest things I can imagine is being truly deeply in love with someone and not being with them forever and to live out your entire life in a relationship and like, know that to the very last breath in your body you got to have that love and then you died which is a thing humans are deeply terrified of but like you died in that love I think that's fucking beautiful and like absolutely a happily ever after literally ever after yeah I have one last question before we like close out with our like TBR for the like what we want to read um Suzanne from Love and Panels wanted to know what your favorite thing your favorite cookie or thing to bake is oh my goodness well that's truly an excellent question that could take us another hour to discuss (laughs) um okay well I think my favorite things to bake are not necessarily my favorite things to eat so I have different answers in terms of eating my all-time favorite dessert is gingerbread like a super dark dense moist molasses gingery gingerbread but gingerbread's not super fun to bake so um in terms of like baking my favorite thing to bake is uh like a tiered cake I find it so much fun you get to do both a like a, a 
mix for the batter and frosting and fillings and decoration. So it's like multiple different baking projects all in one. And I just like, you can't beat the, uh, like the visual impressive factor of showing someone like a three or four tier cake, even if it's from a box or something, people are just always really delighted and and impressed because it, I don't know, you associate cakes with like parties and celebrations and fun. So yeah, my dream someday, and I will do it, is to get asked to make like a huge wedding style cake for someone with like multiple tiers, multiple fillings, multiple frostings. That sounds really awesome. Alrighty. So what books or shows are on your TBR to catch up on this year, if you have the brain space to? Oh my gosh. Yeah. On my TBR. Okay. I've never, I haven't watched any of the, um, what's it called? The, the crown. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. I've had several people recommend it because I like historical fiction but I've never, I haven't even seen like a preview for it. So that's one that I'm contemplating. Have you seen it? I've seen parts of it. Any I, good? I, who did I want to punch? <laughs> it was Prince Philip's father, I think. So Queen Elizabeth's husband, I think. I don't okay. quite remember. Um, I was just like, wow, Matt Smith. I don't remember what character you're playing, but I remember it's Matt Smith. I don't like you. Gotcha. But like. Um, I mean, it's the British royal family. So if you like the British royal family, I think you'll like the crown. You know, I actually have no interest in the British royal family whatsoever. Like, I have to, uh, I have to say that the whole like royals and princesses and princes has never held any interest for me whatsoever. But I do love political intrigue. And uh, the friend who was recommending it to me was saying that like there's beautiful costumes and lots of political intrigue. I think I remember there was lots of political intrigue, and I think my dad watched, like, two or three seasons of it. Like, he'll just have something on, and I'll just, like, come in for, like, an episode or so and be like, I have no idea what's going on, but sure. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what I get to. Uh, my, my um. oh, well, the one thing that's in my, that's uh, I've saved is the fifth season, the final season, uh, or whatever number season it is of Schitt's Creek, which is a show that I love, and I've watched all the other seasons, like, five times because I I it's like a comfort watch but I haven't watched the final season yet and I've been saving it for something until like when something truly terrible happened so I've seen I started season one and I was like I don't know if I like these people and then like I would watch like season two or season three episodes of my dad and I was like you know what I actually like these people and like I've had friends be like okay if you don't like them in season one just skip to season two they're much better. And I was like, cool, good advice. I'll do that. And that's definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're a skipper, that's super useful. I am like a total whole list. I, I simply cannot skip. But um, I, yeah, I loved how unlikable they were in the first season. And I loved the journey of like starting to enjoy them. Um, so that. I, I the have last terrible that. secondhand embarrassment when it comes to comedies. So most of the time I'm just like, mm, mm, no, let's skip this. Let's go ahead. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I hear you. I am not, I, I have only recently, like in the last few years, come to liking any comedies at all. I used to have a pretty firm no comedies at all rule because I just find them like the secondhand embarrassment. It's why I still can't, like I hate stand-up comedy so much. I cannot deal with it because I just like, I cringe for the people. But there are a few shows and Shit's Creek is among them that I, I have 
really a, I have a place in my heart. Uh, let's see, what's on my TBR? Saffron Alley by A.J. DeMoss, um, which is a pseudo-alt-Greek fantasy book with a non-binary eunuch sword dancer and a very grumpy, tired soldier. Um, it's the second book in that series, so we get to see them continuing on their journey. K.J. Charles is giving us a... I don't remember its title, but it's the, her newest Regency standalone that is very much in the same vein of her... Um, it's a departure from the trilogy she was trying to write, and I was like, I wrote this instead because I couldn't write that, and we're like, cool, <laughs> we'll take it. The Art of Fortune Hunting, there we go. So we've got Robin of Loxley in Regency era, or someone named Robin of Loxley in Regency era, uh, going fortune hunting with someone. <laughs> Nice. So it's going to be a romp, and I'm excited for that. Where can folks find you on the interwebs? On the interwebs, I'm on all the places. I have a newsletter that you can sign up for on my website, which is roanparish.com, and all of the other info for my social media is on my, my uh, website as well. And I actually have a very exciting project forthcoming that I could tell you about because it's podcast related. I last year had had announced that I was going to start this podcast called Dear Romance Writer, which was like an advice podcast about love and romance. And just as I was sitting down to do it, the pandemic happened. And I was like, wow, guess what nobody needs right now is a podcast where I tell people what to do about love and romance. Um, but now that we're like sitting in it for a while, um, I and Zio Axelrod and Avery Flynn are going to be starting that podcast. So we're going to have a podcast, uh, or we have now, I guess, when you're listening to this, a uh, podcast, Dear Romance Writer, that is an advice podcast. And so I'm super excited about that. So in addition to my books, uh, you can also find me on all podcast places, along with Zio and Avery doing the Dear Romance Writer podcast. That sounds awesome. Um, you can Thanks. find me on Twitter as at queer underscore reader, and then you can find Ron Book Pod on uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. So thanks for joining us today, Rowan. Thank Rowan. you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Ron Book Pod, inclusively yours. If you'd like weekly recommendations for inclusive romance, please take a moment to subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter. Instagram and Pinterest at Rom Book Pod. That's R O M B K P O D. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, happy reading.